0: Those were the words used by the New York Governor Kathy Hochul over the weekend. So what was she describing, you might ask? Well, check out this headline in The Hill. Hochul tells New York businesses not to fear about Trump verdict, saying in a radio interview there is, quote, nothing to worry about. But is that the case? Is the $354 million judgment against Donald Trump for allegedly committing business fraud just a one-off? Just file it in the back of your mind and move on. Maybe not. As some truck drivers are now threatening to skip out on the Big Apple.
1: If New York just loses 10%, just 10% of the trucks that go in there, their prices are going to skyrocket on everything from milk to eggs to any type of goods that the consumer needs.
0: And that is where we begin. Come on in. I'm Blake Berman, and this is The Hill on News Nation. All right, thanks for being in. Hanging out with us today, Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor, Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chair. Julian Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill, and Bill McGinley, former Trump White House Cabinet Secretary. Hello, hello, hello to you all. Happy Monday. Happy
2: happy Washington's birthday. There sir. you go. President's there you go. There you go. No, um, no, 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 no. Don't get me started on that. There's no <laughs> Washington's such thing. We're gonna, Washington's birthday. Okay. Okay. You're
0: going to break it down uh, <laughs> here coming up later in the show. But what about that, that we see are seeing now from truck drivers, New York, New York City, and that verdict? Is this just a, a one-off, or is this a sign of... What's potentially to come down the line here? Well, certainly we've
2: seen this in other uh, Western uh, democracies. We've seen it in Canada. We've seen it in France. We've seen it in Germany, uh, where you have working-class people uh, stage what they consider to be a revolt against the elites, and truck drivers are well-connected and all of that stuff. Uh, I don't know the way out, though, because if if they could raise prices, which they could, right— other truckers would come in to fill that space, obviously, exactly. because markets being what markets are. Railroads and other trucking companies would say,
0: "We're we're here for you." If they could get prices up, I don't know what I don't know how they get out of this. So here's here's what Kevin O'Leary, who's you know Shark Tank fame, here's what he said earlier today: he says, "It doesn't matter what the governor says. New York was already a loser state, like California is a loser state. <laughs> there are many loser states because of policy, high taxes, uncompetitive uh, regulation, and it was already on the top of the list of being a loser state. I would never invest." in New York now, and I'm not the only person saying that, Bill McGinley, to bring it beyond just truck drivers potentially.
3: Yeah, this is not a one-off. This is now legal precedent. I mean, you know, Letitia James and the AG's office and this judge have now set precedent that is probably disturbing a lot of the New York real estate developers because they're wondering do we need to hilarious. go back over this, right? Because at the end of the day, there were no victims. They had sophisticated banks who did their own due diligence on the claims of property value. He repaid it in full plus interest. There's nobody who was a victim here. And so now you have all these real estate developers who are looking at this and wondering if a Republican attorney general comes in, which is not going to happen anytime. Soon in New York, but maybe a Republican DA someplace where they develop. Are they now going to be vulnerable because of this precedent? Yeah, but this is this is this is an outlier. Uh, Trump engaged in massive fraud
4: over several years, so I don't. I think it's an, one. It's an outlier, but two. It's going to make real estate developers clean up their books if they need to be cleaned up. Uh, but more importantly, I don't think uh, the as a former president of the D.C. Chamber of Commerce, uh, D.C., New York, and California are tough for businesses because of taxes and regulations, but those are mutually exclusive issues. Trump was an outlier and extraordinarily committed fraud,
0: and we need to keep it the way, and look at it the way it should be looked at. This is trending on social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, Truckers for Trump. Yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. Well, and just go back off of what Chris said. I mean, this is Trump's base, the working class base. Um, And Look, buckle up, 2024. Yeah. I mean, this is the first major legal decision we've we've seen out of Trump's legal issues. You well, know, let's see what happens next.
0: That's what I was wondering. Like, if there's a, a- verdict in georgia that goes against them now all of a sudden are are there going to be boycotts of of the state of georgia i don't know But the truckers
4: lose money too and lose business too if they stage this boycott there'll be other truckers as chris said that will fill that gap it's not like this is some unionized effort
3: i'm going to disagree with that real quick just real quick the trucking industry actually has been suffering from a shortage of drivers yep And so if 10 percent say they're not delivering to New York City, there is not the labor force bandwidth to pick up that 10 percent. So let's 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 dive into
0: into that for a second. Joining us now is Craig Fuller, the founder and CEO of Freight Waves. That is a data reporting agency focusing on global freight. Craig, thanks for being with us here on the Hill. First time, I believe so. uh, You got these some of these truckers saying, you know what? We're, We're not going into New York because of what happened to Donald Trump. If I'm just anybody living in New York and I see, see that headline and you hear what that, that woman said off the top of the show, uh, should they be concerned?
6: No, not at all. I, you know, probably has been around since 2017. We've covered dozens of quote unquote boycotts and protests among truck drivers. They never amount to anything, especially not now. Um, you, the previous, uh, the, one of the folks on the panel mentioned that there is a truck driver shortage uh, that has been debunked on multiple occasions. Uh, the fact is that the trucking industry has too much capacity, and uh, the industry is really struggling from a significant downturn, and we're not going to see truck drivers give up the opportunity to make money simply because of some uh, political stance that they
0: want to take.
3: This is But
0: in theory, couldn't independent owner-operators stop what they're doing, right? Like, if you're working for a, a company and they say drive that truck to New York— you're driving that truck to New York or you're getting fired, I presume, or suspended or, or whatever. But if you own your own truck and you say, you know what, I don't like what happened to Donald Trump. I'm, I'm not going into York, to New York. In theory, I guess that could happen, right?
6: In theory, it could happen. But we've also looked at multiple uh, of these boycotts and protests. And in theory... They sound great on paper. You know, not okay. less than two weeks ago, we heard that there were going to be 700,000 truck drivers in southern Texas protesting uh, the border crisis that's down there. It simply is not going to happen. There is going to be very little impact to freight flows. Uh, we have covered, like I said, dozens of boycotts since 2017, and there have yet to be a, any issues of consumers getting access to goods. This is nothing more than social media noise. It's
0: not going to have an impact. Mark my words. Three, three million, uh, three and a half million drivers employed in 2022. That sounds about right to you. That's correct. Somewhere in there. OK, um, I, I look at that number. That's a big number, Craig. And we deal with politics here uh, in this town and on this show. Do, do you have a sense from within your industry? Because I know this this truckers for Trump is is trending right mm-hmm. now. But within your interest, industry, broad strokes here. Is it a is it pro-Trump, pro-Biden or none of the above?
6: It's probably 80% Trump. I mean, it is a okay. this is a, a red-blooded, blue-collar industry. Uh, it is anti-labor. So if you think about unionized labor, for the most part, trucking as a general industry, with the exception of the Teamsters, tends to be very anti-labor. Trump stands for a lot of what they believe in. They believe in independence, autonomy. Uh, they don't believe in government interference. But regardless of that, and, and having said that, we have yet to see any political movement in the United States that has caused, uh, that drivers have set out and boycotted,
0: that has actually caused any uh, issues related to consumers' access to freight. Okay, we'll leave it there. Craig Fuller, CEO of Freight Waves. Appreciate the time and the perspective. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, thanks for having me. <clears throat> you got it. All right, now turning to Nikki Haley, who continues to go on the attack against. Former President Trump. Now, after Trump's uh, $355 million civil fine, by the way, there's a lot of interest on top of that, too, Mm -hmm. Haley is raising concerns about Republican Party funds potentially being used to pay the former president's legal fees.
5: Now he's trying to take the RNC so that it can be the piggy bank for his legal fees. We've got to start focusing on what Americans need, not what Donald Trump needs.
7: But
0: with the South Carolina primary this Saturday, just uh, five, six days away, the former president still leads Haley. Look at that. Basically by double 30 something, 20 something, depending on wherever you look in her home state, by the way, that 31 point margin is according to Decision Desk HQ and the Hill Election Center. Chris, that argument from from Nikki Haley, does it reverberate at all or no? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great
2: argument. It's a correct argument. Um, but when you think about, think about it this way. So here's a guy who's worth $2 billion or, or something. Um, or something. And, and, uh, he has such magnetism in the Republican party that working-class people who could ill-afford to give up a paycheck... Now, I'm sure that your expert on trucking is right, that it's not going to bring New York to its knees. Mm -hmm. But if any number of people were willing to forego their own income Mm -hmm. in service, almost it's almost a religious kind of obligation that they have to help a billionaire out with the fines against him in a civil case. That's what Nikki Haley's up against. And the base of the Republican Party, people who live in upstate South Carolina, working-class, blue-collar voters are down they're, down, they're down for the struggle with Donald Trump, and they're going to hang with him, and even good arguments like the one that
4: she's making. I don't know how that's going to break through. Well, well, it hasn't broken through yet, and I think Chris is absolutely right. Those are the smart arguments to make. His supporters are just illogical almost. Oh, come on, Phil. Let's <laughs> jump in. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't need to, to jump in to before you. No, no, go on, go it. on, no. please. No, we I can mean, that is. Sooner or later, that's
3: Let's just go. wrong. I mean, really, <laughs> what you have number one, the RNC has a real financial crunch right now. They, they do. Last report showed them about $8 million in the bank, about two million vendor debt. That's a real financial crisis for the Republican party. If Trump becomes the nominee, which he will be the presumptive nominee after South Carolina, if those polling results, he is gonna put his people in there, primarily because they need to bring the RNC back to being the bank of the Republican party. Laura Trump though says, we're gonna spend every penny on Donald Trump. Yeah, but spending money on Donald Trump helps Republicans up and down the ballot because the battleground states of Arizona, Michigan- Is that really the defense? What's that? that? That can't be the defense. No, if it but actually it is. But the collar counties in those battleground states are where the House is going to be won or lost. It's where a lot of these Senate races are going to be won or lost as well. But you don't have anything if you don't have the money in the RNC. Now, Haley raising that issue of the legal fees, I understand why she's doing it. She's about to be out. And I don't think that the RNC is going to be picking up legal bills right now. There's other vehicles to do to And to go call. back
5: to Laura Trump's comments, look, I mean, that's the job of the RNC. It's the job of the DNC to elect the nominee. Um, and the, the committees think that will trickle down. So what she's saying is absolutely right. Going back to Nikki Haley's comments, though, look, I just think it's incredibly ironic because Nikki Haley continues to prove that she is a very good general election candidate, but she cannot break through with this Republican I don't know what her end game is, but I, I you know, it's
0: it's just interesting. If why. you could ask, if you had to ask Nikki Haley one question, what would it be?
5: What is your end? Game? H-
0: whole, oh, I was going <laughs> to. Oh, there you go. Quick, note,
5: maybe we'll ask her. I'll be speaking
0: yes. with the Republican presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, tomorrow, right here on this show, The Hill, on News Nation. You will not want to miss that interview. It airs at six o'clock Eastern, right here on The Hill. Nikki Haley joins us tomorrow. All right, uh, Donald Trump, by the way. Stepping into new territory, you could say, over the weekend, the former president unveiled Trump-branded sneakers at SneakerCon in Philadelphia. The gold high tops retailing for $400 a pop. When you look at that picture,
2: what do you see? It's the same thing. It's the same thing we're talking about with the truckers. It's the power over working class people. It's the magnetism Of Trump. I don't know whether this is going to sell or not sell or or whatever, but it is this appeal to common, ordinary people. Uh, that is Donald Trump's thing. This is not, obviously, I uh, say this, am you anybody who's a sneakerhead, I, I uh, mean, no yeah. disrespect to anyone, this is not an audience of sophisticates, right? This is th- this is not the elite uh, that is going to sneaker con, and so this, you, is, this uh, is where he goes. I but see it appealing
5: you, to young men, too. Yeah you, see, sure. yeah. you see what? Young men appealing to young men. What do you see there like, in that yeah,
4: picture? I, I see that the color of the sneakers matches the color of his hair. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and you, secondly, real quick, just secondly... His followers can't afford $400
2: sneakers. Oh, I, don't, I don't know about You're that. You're going to have uh, to, oh. Adele. You know, i, I got to tell on. you, but this, this, this,
3: this <laughs> is the difference now, right? Versus <laughs> the working class who are supporting Trump. Right, who are willing to put the four hundred dollars down, contribute the low dollar once he becomes the presumptive nominee, in the donor class, okay, I, And the elites of the Democratic Party, who can't afford it, who are going to swear it off. Okay, but just the one p- last. The Democratic thing, right? Party is out of touch. All to the work. money that
4: the sneakers are going to raise, all the money that your followers are going to raise, I guarantee you, it's going to go towards paying his legal fees. It's not going to go towards those districts where the money is we'll, needed. We'll see
0: where it goes. By the way, one of the four hundred bucks. There were a thousand of them. It sold for seventy-five hundred dollars today. Apparently, one pair. On the secondary market Alright, coming up here was it you? No, was it I wasn't was I? Bill <laughs> I was Coming up uh, There is a theme Involving George Washington Yes Abraham Lincoln Yes LBJ And yes. Richard Nixon Oh yes uh, putting, You're going to put them all together We're going to put it all together We're going to pull a thread through that Steyrwald's going to break it down What those four have in common On this President's Day After the break Stay with us All right, welcome back here to The Hill. It's President's Day, as you might know. And today we learned about a connection between today's commander-in-chief and the 16th man to hold office. Believe it or not, way back when, in March of 1864, a man by the name of Moses J. Robinette was arrested and jailed for a fight that he participated in. He was eventually pardoned by Abraham Lincoln. Robinette, if that name sounds familiar, was President Biden's great-great-grandfather. Yes, a relation there. So what are some other key moments from American presidential history today to reflect on? Steyrwald, here to break it all down. Chris?
2: Biden was actually at that trial. A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) A lot of people don't remember that, but Biden was actually there. He did a great job. Okay, today (laughs) is the federal observance of the birthday of George Washington, born on February 22, 1732, about 80 miles south of here along the Potomac River in Virginia. We're celebrating Washington and the standard for presidential leadership he set. First in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen, his sacrificial leadership at Valley Forge, his steady hand at the Constitutional Convention, his gift for compromise in establishing the new government. But perhaps the very best thing George Washington did as president was to quit. He stunned the world by stepping aside after two terms. When his old adversary, King George III, heard the news, he couldn't believe it, saying of Washington, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. And maybe he was. He was. But he believed in his country. He knew that America, that if America couldn't make it without him, America couldn't make it at all. As they would say on the North Fork of Short Creek, it's time to root hog or die. And that puts Washington's farewell address, September 19th, 1796, as number one on our list of four key moments of presidential leadership by leaving. He exhorted his fellow Americans to be virtuous, to become better educated, balance the budget, and seek peace with other nations. But most importantly, to not become divided by partisan factions, lest they be targets of demagogues who would destroy the new republic. Parties, he warned, would, quote, become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and usurp for themselves the reins of government. Sound familiar? (laughs) Number two belongs not to a president who left, but one who was willing to leave. On November 8, 1864, Abraham Lincoln stood for re-election during the Civil War. No president had won a second term in 32 years, and a war-weary nation wanted peace. Many radical Republicans believed Lincoln should use his extraordinary war powers to delay or modify the election. But like Washington, Lincoln believed in America. He couldn't defend the Constitution and disgrace its principles at the same time. When the campaign began, it looked bad for the great emancipator, but he won the election and won the war. Number three on our list of leadership by leaving is an unlikely hero, Lyndon Johnson. On March 31, 1968, the ruthlessly ambitious Texan shocked the world when he announced at the end of an Oval Office address on the Vietnam War that he was dropping out of the presidential
3: race. I have concluded that I should not permit the presidency to become involved in the partisan divisions that are developing in this political year.
2: Boom. Johnson knew he couldn't be president and run for president effectively in a time of national crisis. Physically and mentally exhausted, he couldn't unite a deeply divided nation. Number four on the list of leadership by leaving belongs to Johnson's successor, Richard Nixon, on August 8th, 1974.
3: I have never been a quitter. To leave office before my term is completed is abhorrent to every instinct in my body. But as president, I must put the interests of America first. Nixon,
2: like many of his supporters, believed that he was being persecuted by Democrats and the members of the liberal media who were using the bungled burglary of the Democratic campaign offices at the Watergate building as a pretext to get rid of a president who they hated. He fought them in the courts. He purged his administration of dissenters. He tried every trick he could think of. But in the end, rather than subject the country to an impeachment and trial that he knew would have been a delight to America's adversaries, Nixon went away quietly and let the nation get on with the work of healing. Now, I'm not suggesting that our current leaders should or could meet the standards of Washington and Lincoln, some of the greatest figures in human history. But what about landslide Lyndon and Tricky Dick? Could President Biden find the faith in America and humility to step aside during an election year as Johnson did? It would be messy, maybe as messy as it was in 1968. But in the wake of the Hur report and the open questions about his obviously diminished abilities, Biden could leave off as a hero simply by choosing not to run. What if Donald Trump was a man of as much character as Richard Nixon? What if, before his second impeachment for sending an angry mob to the Capitol to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, Trump had resigned and let Mike Pence preside over the final two weeks of the term? Trump would have done something that he will never do by holding power and seeking another term, unite the nation and ensure his place in history as someone who put the national interest ahead of his own. Remember, Washington's words about unprincipled men who subvert the power of the people to usurp for themselves. That's the danger we always face. And that's why we rely on what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature in our leaders. Men and women who summon the courage to place their faith in America, not themselves.
0: Breaks it down on this President's Day. Holiday edition. You two might have been shaking your heads at one point. Julia's in here smiling. (laughs) I was
5: really happy you included LBJ. I think LBJ is one of the most underrated presidents. And I thought his decision, you you pointing out his decision to leave was fascinating. I
2: mean. And and both and in both uh, Johnson and Nixon's case, they were pretty rotten guys at uh, at many points in their lives, right? right? They were ruthlessly ambitious. They cut corners. They fought. They did all this stuff. But at the moment when history tapped them on the shoulder, they went. And leaving, you know, you have to have a lot of courage to run for office, right? You have to have a ton of courage to run for office. We need people of courage to run for office. But you also have to have courage to leave. And we need a lot more leavers these days. All right. That's- no,
5: no. Interesting perspective on Nixon. You don't hear that. I'm just. And yeah, for interesting you know, you know,
0: perspectives for our viewers and our listeners on SiriusXM The Hill, Sunday with Chris Stirewalt premieres March third. That's a week from Sunday. I better get ready. You better get ready. Oh. He is getting ready. No, we got, we got we got two weeks. Don't
2: rush. Me. Two weeks. Don't no, that's what I say. Week a week, yeah, a week okay, from yeah. Sunday. We yeah. still
0: got some time. But Chris's new show premieres Sunday, March third, right here on News Nation. There is still much more ahead here on The Hill. He's ready for round two again tonight. But are supporters of President Biden ready as well? The comedian Jon Stewart back on The Daily Show, why things could be different this time around, maybe. Plus, speaking of popular, Charlemagne the God has had enough. How the popular radio host is responding to the Biden administration's frustration with the press and the predicament that he sees voters facing in 2024. And you are looking live right now at Capitol Hill. On the other side of the break, one of the most influential conservative lawmakers joins us. Does the fall of the one Ukrainian town to Russia change his mind about getting aid to Ukraine? We'll ask Congressman Bob Good. You're watching The Hill here on News Nation. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So, state pride or country pride? A new poll out today from the University of Texas is asking voters in that state if they consider themselves American first. Or Texan first. Now, the breakdown by political party is pretty stark. 35% of Republicans and 30% of independents surveyed say they are Texan first and American second. Compare that to 15% of Democrats who say the same. Bill, what's going on with your party?
3: Look I, think, I, I, look, I think having state pride, being from the Republic of Texas and being in an America 1st they're not inconsistent. I mean, if you go down to Texas and you actually talk to the Texans who are down there, they've served in the military. A lot of them do blue collar jobs. They believe in entrepreneurship. They really believe in a lot of the things that I, I think epitomize the, the Texas culture and values. But it also really is an American for, first platform for them. So I, th- I think these poll results make a lot of sense to me uh, when you actually kind of live within this bubble that is a that is, Republican that is awesome. party these days. kind of
5: reminds me of Florida, and I think Texas and Florida are very similar. I think Texas definitely has a firmer identity, but coming out of the pandemic and seeing, you know, this... Florida man persona that's been in the works for a number of years now. It's it's interesting to like see a number of de-
0: a number of decades. Decades. Man robs like. convenience store with
4: I'm
5: just saying. We didn't make it up. Right. <laughs> yes. Didn't uh, Texas
4: <laughs> didn't Texas try to succeed from the union on several occasions? Well, there, there's like they a te- te- they, they, there, they there's they a Texan about. movement, they but it's probably some of that rooted in the culture. They're going to start
2: they're going to start a trucker boycott. Look, I I think that's good. Okay. I think it's good. I think nationalism, patriotism is wonderful. Right. Nationalism is dangerous. Um, and if people want, I, you know, I'm a West Virginian. I think of myself as an American before I think of myself as a West Virginian. But I'm very proud to be a West Virginian. I'm very proud to identify Montani Semper Liberi, the 35th star, child of the Civil War. I am very proud to be a West Virginian. And I think state pride is healthy and good and, and in some ways better than this sort of monolithic nationalism that tends to come in
0: its place. All right. Meantime, a key town in Ukraine has fallen to Russia's army, which is drawing fresh efforts in Congress to win passage of a new aid package for Ukraine. Now members of a centrist, bipartisan group in the House of Representatives are proposing uh, tying passage of those funds to strict provisions dealing with border security. For example, the proposal calls for $66 billion in aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Suspending entry of illegal migrants in the US and requiring authorities to detain and immediately expel illegal immigrants. Now, one of the members who has opposed more aid to Ukraine under certain conditions is the Republican Congressman Bob Good. He's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and joins us live here on the Hill once again. Congressman, thanks for being with us. Uh, Appreciate the time, sir, as always. So, this this bipartisan proposal—money for aid, money for Ukraine, money for
1: Israel—suspend the entry of illegal migrants. What's wrong with that? Well, I think it says a lot about many members of Congress. It seems as their top priority is money for uh, other countries overseas that they want to borrow, by the way, from our kids and our grandkids. We need to move past the era of supplementals that aren't paid for, whether they're for uh, foreign aid or whatever they might be for. But this seems to be many members of Congress' top priority. What about America's national security interests? What about securing our border, protecting our citizens, also protecting our fiscal security as Americans? And so I don't think this bill will get a majority Republicans in the House. I certainly hope the speaker does not take it up. You, you say,
0: but, but, so is it just offsets for you, Congressman? Like the $66 billion, if, there, if this were to be, quote, unquote, paid for somehow, would you support that?
1: Well, paid for is not a theory. That's a reality. And we can pay for, we can cut UN funding, we can cut IRS expansion, we can cut the COVID slush fund, the commerce slush fund. Uh, There's many examples of low hanging fruit that we can cut. And that ought to be just a principle because our debt situation is unsustainable. What's also wrong with it is you cobble together these things that are unrelated. Uh, Most Americans and almost all Republicans support aid to Israel. But aid to Israel should not be held hostage to aid to Ukraine or for other particular concerns that are not related to Israel. Even aid to Israel ought to be paid for because Israel doesn't have $34 trillion in national debt, doesn't have a $200 billion deficit. And, again, we can pay for it. Continuing to, to have supplementals that aren't paid for are, is a slippery slope. It never ends. We've got to change that. But with respect to Ukraine, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a majority of Republicans who support that. I don't support more aid for Ukraine. I don't think At all. the case has been – You don't, you don't, well, I don't support think the another dime? Has, I don't support Ukraine. Uh, You know, foreign policy issues are complex. They're uncertain. Uh, It's difficult to know exactly how they will turn out. However, what is certain is our own debt. What is certain our own national security is compromised under this president. What is certain again is that this everything that we do from a foreign aid standpoint ought to be paid for. But I don't know what the limit of U.S. involvement would be. I don't know what the end game or exit strategy is. I don't know what the long term solution here is with these countries who will border be border countries for hundreds of years to come. Uh, Ukraine is not a member of NATO. We're not sworn to defend them. They're, Ukraine is you not know. a democracy in the sense that, that we are as a constitutional republic. And so for those reasons, no, I don't support more aid for Ukraine. We've already said $113 billion over the that we borrowed from our kids and grandkids. Um, we saw
0: a congressman in the state of New York, Tom Swazi, a Democrat, win there. And he ran on a campaign of what needs to happen at the southern border. That was a seat that was flipped from red to blue. Axios is reporting now that President Biden before the State of the Union could do the following. They say, quote, one bold move that Biden has considered, we're told, is an executive order that would dramatically staunch the record flow of migrants into the Southwest. This could even happen in the two weeks before the address allowing Biden to say he took action while Republicans just talk. I know you've passed H.R. 2 in the House, Congressman, but that's going nowhere. And I wonder after watching Tom Suozzi, a Democrat, win in New York, if... If there's some second guessing that that you guys need to get something on the books as it relates to the southern border.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up the president because the president immediately when he took office, uh, executed some 60 executive orders that reversed intentionally the border po- security policies that were in place under President Trump, which were largely securing our southern border. He did it on purpose. He stopped the wall. He stopped remaining in Mexico. Uh, he reinstated catch and release. He stopped detaining individuals at the border. But looking forward, he, what said, are you going to do? Like I what understand, what happened in the past. Well, but, but what the president can and should do is to reverse those executive, executive orders. He's right. He could secure the border today if he wanted to. This is a lawless president who's not following the laws that are on the books. To your point, Congress—you have to get the House and the Senate and the White House to 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 uh, agree together for Congress to take action. I want Congress to take action, as I've noted with with the Senate passing HR two. But the president can take it upon himself. What the president wants is political cover for having opened our border and allowed 10 million illegals to come into the country. He doesn't want to end it. He did it on purpose. He's not confused. Even Biden's not confused about but Democrat, his Democrats border policies. Democrats say Republicans just want even,
0: political cover for Donald Trump until he potentially gets it.
1: Even Biden knows that he, he opened the border. Even he knows there's 10 million illegals who've come in because of his policies. He ought to change it. I would support him changing it. I, but what he wants is political cover going into an election year. Congressman,
0: I got to leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Congressman Bob Goods, state Before of Virginia, head of the House Freedom Caucus. Thank you, sir. Thank you. you would say to the Congressman what? I would say you can't have it
4: both ways. We've seen a bill that has this foreign aid as well as border security, bipartisanship. We've seen them break it up, and now we see this centrist group who's put it back together with perhaps some stronger border protections. I'm sure there's some things that that Biden could do executive-wise, but he doesn't believe in that. He believes in a humanitarian approach, but it's costing him political points. So my question to uh, Representative Good is, well, then, then what, though? Because if he exercises the executive order and reverses some or all or does something else— Okay, but this is a talking point for the Republicans in an election year. They're still going to criticize him because you heard the congressman go back to, well, he, he reversed these on purpose. He knows what he did. We're going to impeach my August. All of these things because if they don't keep talking about that, no matter what Biden does, then they're, they're not going to have a talking point
0: for their, their base. Does, does this have any chance of passing? I don't no, see it right? happening. Okay. When, when does the CR run? That's the short-term government funding, Bill.
2: Early, March. I, Early yeah. March. Early
5: March. Yeah. Early yeah.
0: March. So
2: what it feels like is going to happen okay. right, mm-hmm. is that the House is going to get jammed to a fare thee well, right, because they're not going to have the votes. They're they're one seat short, and it's going to get tighter, and it's going to get tighter. CR is coming up. They're going to get up to the cliff, and it's going to be push me, pull me, and they're going to have to pass something at some point, and there'll be some aid in it, I bet.
4: But what happens to Ukraine in the interim with this funding not being there? i
0: tell you is that. Is Ukraine call. You, com- you you're comfortable? You comfortable with the position that you just? Heard from Bob Good as a relative but to I Ukraine, think it's not another an
3: position for the House of Representatives, and I know that I'm going to draw a reaction from that. But I also think um, he was absolutely correct. Okay. through the stroke of the pen, President Biden reversed all of the southern border policies that President Trump but, had in place. But you know, that's he the- has the existing authority. To reinstate them. If he doesn't want to do all of them, start doing some of them. Because I think that will go a long way toward engendering some goodwill with some of the people in their House Republican caucus. Because they're saying, we secure our border, then we'll secure other borders. By the way, so, two, year, two years ago, we'll
2: celebrate the two-year anniversary or, or observe the two-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And if a year ago, we would have said Vladimir Putin is doomed. Uh, now he is killing his rivals with impunity. Right. <coughs> back to fully flouting the international community because he figured he could just wait out the united states of america and it looks like he might get his
0: way okay all right coming up the popular radio host charlemagne the god gets candid about the 2024 presidential election what he has to say about both president biden and former president trump coming up next steve krakauer joins us highest ratings in almost six years, but the reviews weren't all stellar, especially on the left. Some on the left angry that Stewart spent much of the show Ah. criticizing President Biden with one fan saying, quote, I'll never forgive you. Joining us now, News Nation contributor, media critic Steve Krakauer. He's written an op-ed in The Hill claiming that, quote, John Stewart is about to learn a hard truth about the state of media and culture. Steve, good to have you back on again. What do you mean by that?
7: Yeah. Look, John Stewart. It's a very different environment than John Stewart was in when he left in 2015, which, as we all know, was he left in August of 2015. It was just mere two months. After Donald Trump took the big escalator ride down, obviously, before he really started gaining steam in the Republican primary and then, of course, winning. So it's completely different now. And yes, I I think there was another headline, Rolling Stone. He appalled the left for the betrayal of his own side. I mean, this is what he's facing. And I will say this. Sure, you know, maybe he's up for it. He's up for the challenge of the incentive structure that exists now of, of people yelling at him on X and other social media platforms on his, quote, own side. We'll see, because we've seen person after person, they have to really hold strong in their beliefs if they're daring to, like, just go a little bit over the line of stating the obvious about Joe Biden's cognitive issues, they're going to get this sort of backlash now. That's the environment we're in.
0: Joe, I, I don't think the left thought that, like, like he's the tar—the left was basically his base, right, right? before he right. left. And then all of a sudden he comes on, comes back after, what is that, eight years, nine years? Mm-hmm. And, and they're upset with what they, what they saw in the first episode. I'm not, I don't know if he would have expected that.
5: Well, you know, I think the left, uh, there are members of the left, of the Democratic Party, particularly younger voters yep. who are watching John Stewart, millennials um, like myself. I you know, had a lot of friends from high school and college who were talking <laughs> about this, but they agree. With John Stewart yeah. and that they think Biden is too old. I think what you're seeing, this backlash might be from more of maybe an older portion of the left or maybe a more establishment portion that is going to be more favorable or sympathetic. Are talking to me? No. no, 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 no. All right. Well,
0: from the host of a TV show to the host of a radio show, Charlemagne the God has become a key political voice. He's interviewed po- uh, politicians, made frequent campaign stops, and as the co host of the popular radio show, The Breakfast Club, he reaches around 6 million monthly listeners. Huge following. Now, Charlemagne the God endorsed uh, President Biden in 2020 and says Trump is a quote, threat to democracy, but he has also become critical of the president of late, calling him uninspiring. Now he says he gets blowback from the White House after voicing his criticism. Here's what he said. And I think that's the stupidest. Ever. Even if I do criticize
4: them, I'm criticizing them because of what I see coming up in November. I see what we're facing. So what I'm saying to them is, where is the sense of urgency? You can't keep saying that there's a, a threat to democracy, and democracy as we know it is going to be, be, be gone,
0: but not act like it. And- Steve, what do, you, what do you make of it? And what do you make of the White House, you know, him saying that the White House is none too thrilled with the pushback.
7: Yeah, I know I, they, they, they don't like any. They don't like any of the criticism. We, we see this in, in other media outlets, the New York Times. Uh, the publisher said that they get they're very angry messages from the White House. Now, this is their M.O., but he's right. And and Charlemagne is the is the conduit for really one of the worst moments of the 2020 campaign for then candidate Biden. When as, as the interview was ending, a pretty tough interview that Charlemagne gave him, he, he delivered that line. Well, if you don't know whether to support me or, or Trump. You ain't black. Sterling was the, hmm. the reason, essentially, that, that he pushed Biden to say that line. And I think, you know, later leader had to really backtrack on that. So, I, look, I, I think that Sterling is a, is a very important figure uh, culturally right now. And right. Yeah, I think sure. that it's going to depend on the Biden to, to, to take some action.
0: Do you, how how hey. big of a problem is it when you um. hear stuff? like that from Charlemagne the God. Well, the White House doesn't want to hear any criticism. Whether
7: it's no, they don't. I the mean, God whether from the White Scott House Correspondents Poles Association or, or Charlemagne the God well, or whoever. It's not going away.
4: It's not going away by so not talking about it. So I tell them to listen to Charlemagne. Listen, I tell them they've got to do something, whether it's inspiring. On this show, I've said, you got to make it more likable. Have him smile more versus looking like the angry grandfather. But we, are, the White House list is ought to be listening to Charlemagne and others because the challenges of Biden are real, and they, not, it's not going to go away way by, by ignoring it as Democrats. We earned the right to criticize and support the White House and the Democrats as Democratic voters and political contributors as well. You can't get mad at us for speaking about reality. People do not
2: need the media to be partisan aligned. Right. They do not mm. need right. the Excellent. media. The yep. American people are not well served if we play if we put on a jersey and we play for one team or right. the other. Right. We're supposed to be advocates for the viewer, for the listener, the reader, not for one political party. So good for Charlemagne, do what you want to do. Okay. Even real quick, even
4: if I'm a Democratic advisor or consultant or I represent the Democratic Party. I've got to be real and honest with my party and in my commentary, don't I? Because it's worse if I'm not. Despite my arguments with...
0: One more more influential media personality real quick. John Oliver turning his focus, uh, John Oliver did, towards the Supreme Court on the latest episode of Last Week Tonight. The comedian railed against Justice Clarence Thomas, accusing him of ethics violations, saying he has made the lives of Americans, quote, demonstrably worse, end quote. He ended the show with an offer. $1 million per year to resign from the Supreme Court, an offer, he said, is, quote-unquote, somehow legal, Bill. No.
3: No. (laughs) I mean, even though this is a comedy show and what he's trying to do is draw attention to all of the allegations against Clarence Thomas, which I don't think have merit, I mean, this is the type of stuff that really just kind of irks me. We've, We've destroyed our institutions. We really have. The Supreme Court has come under withering assault. We have protesters out in front of conservative justices' houses on a daily basis. We had somebody who tried to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh. The violence out here is real, and sometimes we need to take a step back. Okay, Steve Krakauer, thank you very much yeah. for joining. We'll have you on back soon.
0: Thank you all, thank too. You. Uh, lots of fun. Good stuff. On the other side of the break, Leland Vitter joins me. What, and did you hear what Charles Barkley said over the weekend? Sir Chuck... About crime, San Francisco, Indiana, and the All Star game. We'll put it all together. Leland joins me on the other side of the break.
5: The South Carolina GOP presidential primary. News Nation Decision Desk 24 has you covered. Chris Cuomo, Leland Vittert, Elizabeth Vargas, and the best political team anywhere. News Nation, Saturday starting at 7 Eastern.
0: All right, so before we go, the former NBA All Star Charles Barkley, sports analyst as well, did you hear what he said over the weekend? Calling out San Francisco at Sunday's NBA All Star game. Now Barkley asked, "Quote, if you had a chance to be cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco, what would you want?" He then went on to say, "Quote, you need a bulletproof vest." To walk around San Francisco. He was in
1: Indianapolis.
0: He was in Indianapolis. He was talking to Reggie Miller, Leland Vitter, host of On Balance. He was talking to Service. Reggie Miller, uh, Indianapolis, uh, Indiana Pacers, great, and was like, hey, Reggie, this or that, and his, I think that— Are you trying to image? Is this your best Charles Barkley? No, no, no. He said, hey, Reggie. He was like, hey, Reggie. They were going, getting into it, and um, yeah. I mean, Charles Barkley will say some things, and he said the hey. thing.
1: He said the thing. Yep. And, and that that's why we all love Charles Barkley, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one who did the ad, I am not a role model, yep. just because I can dunk a basketball. Parents are role models. I think what you are seeing is the crime issue in America is now being something that is widely spoken about, and it's being widely spoken about in the African-American community in a way it had has never been spoken about before. That is leading to the change. I know you've covered it. We've covered it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in polling numbers, as it relates to African-American men, vis Joe Biden and Donald Trump.
0: I could never impersonate Charles Barkley, by the way. That voice is too hard to do and too distinct. Uh,
1: his my, golf swing, though, could go- still use yeah, some Yeah, could
0: use some help. By the way, Parker Bird, before uh-huh. we go, I'm not sure if you saw this. East Carolina, NCAA Division I baseball player I over closely, the weekend. I follow him closely. Who doesn't? Um, do we have the picture? Parker would Bird was in a, a picture. He was in a boating no, uh, accident in 2022. We're showing it to you. Different sports story. The first player to ever be believed. To played an NCAA Division One baseball game. You can see there with a prosthetic leg. I uh, was in a boating accident in 2022, and took to the plate last uh, last Friday night. You can see him there. Bill O'Reilly coming up. You Bill
1: got O'Reilly is with us on President's Day. A man who has written a lot about presidents. There's a new ranking of presidents. Yeah,
0: yeah. I send to